Here we are locked on NFL Tuesday edition alongside the scout. As always, Matt Williamson, I am Brian Peacock. We are taking you around the league daily here on the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Talking Monday Night Football on today's show, a big showdown in Seattle with the Vikings and Seahawks. And our guest today, host of Locked On Bills, does tons of draft work with the Draft Dudes podcast and thedraftnetwork.com. Joe Marino will talk Bills, we'll talk NFL Draft. You can find this podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps, just like any show here on the network. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. Matt, the Seahawks do what the Seahawks do, winning a, a pretty tight and a, and a highly contested game and kind of pulling away in the second half. Finding a way to win a football game is just what Pete Carroll's Seahawks do. 37-30, Seattle wins over the Minnesota Vikings. It was a big contest in the NFC with the playoff seeding. And Seattle now, with that 10-2 and record with the 49ers losing, they got the tiebreaker head-to-head with one Week 17 matchup with the 49ers looming. So now, as of today, the Seahawks, the one seed, the 49ers fall to the five seed. Yeah, heck of a game. Playoff-like atmosphere. Loud. I mean, sometimes I forget how good of fans they are and the atmosphere they create, especially in a night game like this. Communication was obviously difficult for the the uh, Vikings, but even though he didn't get his first Monday night win, I thought Cousins played really well. Um, a couple plays stood out that 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 crazy double bat, you know, that ended up being a, a Vikings defensive score. Yes. I was like, boy, wow, this might be the Vikings night. A crazy <laughs> right. game, crazy play like that. And then later in the game, Dalvin Cook and Stefan Diggs get hurt on the same play. Oh. And my son has both of them on his fantasy team. He's like, ah, he thought he lost his mind. <laughs> uh, and Cook didn't return. Diggs is fine. We'll see what happens there. But uh, well-played game. They absolutely could meet again. You mentioned massive playoff ramifications. Seattle sitting pretty. And I think Minnesota's still in pretty good shape, too. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people playing fantasy football whose last player of the week was Dalvin Cook. I saw one where a guy... Yeah. Lost by half or a Tyler Lockett or, or yeah, or Lockett <laughs> throwing up a zero. Didn't know how bad he was ailing with uh, was it the flu or whatever he was dealing with. So, um, yes, yeah, maybe some bad beats in your fantasy football league because of that game. But that was the turning point play, too. In the third quarter, it was tied at 17 at that point. Dalvin Cook loses a fumble, gets hurt on the same play. Diggs would return, but from there on out, it was it was Seahawks and they kind of took control in that game. And uh, and the fake punt, yeah, right. Right. Seattle having fun. Pete Carroll dialing up a fake punt in that one, pulling out some tricks on Monday Night Football. But uh, that was a huge win for Seattle. The the Vikings are still in good shape for, you know, that six seed, that wild card spot. There is the Los Angeles Rams seven and five. That's about the only team that could overtake them. But uh, the Vikings, you know, it just hurts their chances in the NFC North. But really, the NFC West is the one to watch now. Who's going to be that five seed and, and wild card? And who will get that first round by? Because, man, five teams at 10-2 and two now, which is, I believe, just the fourth time in the Super Bowl era that there's five teams that have 10 wins through 12 games. The Ravens, Saints, 49ers, Patriots, and Seahawks. Three of those teams in the NFC. The 49ers will see both of those teams with 10 wins. Uh, the Saints next week and the Seahawks in Week 17. So the NFC is going to be a fun one for that top seed, but I, I'm pretty confident in those six teams still remaining in the playoffs in some order. Yeah. And wow, the NFL scheduling did a, a wonderful job this year, too. You know, 
kind of starting with your Niners, Ravens. A lot of these heavyweights are meeting each other. We saw that last night. You know, even Buffalo, Baltimore this weekend, Kansas City, New England are going to meet still. There's a lot of huge games in the next couple of weeks that'll, you know, probably between teams that are going to get in anyway, but will really decide where they land and could be uh, rematches in the playoffs. So there's some monstrous games coming up. And all these teams are good. The Vikings, I mean, yeah. they, they got after Russell Wilson. Uh, they made him made life difficult for him throughout most of that game, three and a half quarters or so before um, or three quarters or so before that thing started to get a little bit more in the Seahawks' favor. Talked about um, the Seahawks finding a way to win close games. This is an interesting one. The Seahawks are 10-2. and two. This is from Elias Sports Bureau. Uh, the Seahawks are 10-2 and two after 12 games with a plus 36 point differential. That's the lowest differential wow. for a 10-win team through 12 games in NFL history. And I'm sure the football outsiders folks would tell you, well, that'll come back to the mean. But Belichick, Brady, Wilson, you know, Carroll, Peyton, Breeze, those kind of guys buck that trend, you know, that they know how to win tight games. There's an art to it. Um, I just think that's how they're built. You know, they grind you out when they have a lead, too. And now Penny's stepping up a little bit. Right. No, that's a great call. And actually, you mentioned the Saints. The Saints differential of plus 50 at 10-2 and two is the fourth lowest in NFL history. Wow. So you're on to something. Okay. And for reference for just how low that is for a 10-2 and two team, the Baltimore Ravens have the highest differential at plus 187. The Patriots 177 and the 49ers at 166. Uh, we've got to get to Joe Marino. I want to leave as much time as possible, so let's bring on today's guest. On the line with us now, Joe Marino. He is the host of Locked on Bills. He's also part of the Draft Dudes podcast here on the network and a draft analyst for the Draft Network. Joe, I want to thank you for joining the show, and I hope you had as good of a holiday as the 9-3 and three Buffalo Bills did. Uh, it certainly made the the holiday a lot better. An exciting win over the Dallas Cowboys that, uh, you know, plenty of people were nervous about how it was going to spoil Thanksgiving, but it proved to do the exact opposite and gave Bill's Mafia quite a lot to be thankful for uh, after going into Dallas and winning that football game. Joe, I'm not Bill's Mafia's favorite guy, I got to say, over the last couple of years. I've been a little <laughs> hard on them, but I really do respect the organization, the plan, the coaching staff every step of the process. But this game against Dallas, I just didn't see coming. I, I thought Dallas was going to beat them bad. And I really thought it was a, a barometer game where is, is this a good team or is this an average team? And I think it's a good team. Well, I, I think for me as somebody who covers a team and talks about them on a daily basis, I was excited to see the schedule stiffen up a bit, stiffen up a bit. Yeah. You know, it's it's been – such a conversation piece that the Bills have a really good record, but are they as good as their record says they are? You know, can they validate that they're uh, a seven and two team or an eight and three team or a nine and three team by beating a team that maybe some people respect? And I think they made some strides in doing that going into Dallas on a short week, beat short short week and beating the Dallas Cowboys. And I thought they did a good job of really taking advantage of a couple of the games after the bye week. You know, they they stumbled through the Miami game after the bye. Then they lost to the Eagles. They found a way to beat the Redskins and then lost to the Cleveland Browns. And then I looked at the following two games. It was Miami and Denver. I was like, these are your last two chances to kind of tune everything up, gear up for a tough stretch. And that's exactly what they have over the last quarter of the season. 
but I thought in Denver and Miami, uh, you saw Josh Allen really start to take strides, uh, do a good job of being aggressive with the football, but also taking care of the football. That was the, something he's had a hard time blending. You know, dating back to last year, it was you take the good with the bad. He makes some really dynamic plays, but then he made some boneheaded plays. And then that showed up early this season. But really, since week four, he's taking care of the football and he's starting to take care of the football and make plays as evidence over the last three weeks and especially against Dallas Cowboys. I want to stick with Allen real quick because like over the course of this year and last year, there's been a couple scorching hot young quarterback names. I mean, Mahomes took the league by storm last year. The way Baker finished up whenever he got a chance to start, Lamar took his team to the playoffs and now it's his turn to be the super hot name. I think Allen might be knocking on that door. You know, I, I certainly trending that way. I don't think he's done anything but get better since he started playing in the NFL. He came on pretty early, uh, you know, halftime of week one against uh, Baltimore after Nate Peterman really just fumbled through another start in the beginning of 2018. And I don't think it was the plan for him to play as soon as he did. Um, but he failed forward and, and got coached through some issues and, you know, just kept on getting better and better. You know, Matt, I, I talked to an NFL scout um the, the year after Allen was drafted and uh, they were, we were discussing the quarterback class that year, obviously Baker and Rosen and Darnold Jackson, Allen, all those guys. And he said, you know what made us not want to have Josh Allen as a top quarterback on our board? It was that we think he's 10,000 reps behind Baker Mayfield when you consider game situations in practice. And we didn't want to have to take the time to kind of, you know, uh, go through those growing pains. And, you know, I, I think the Bills that 2017 season where they entered 2018 with two first round draft picks. I don't think anybody in the world expected them to go nine and seven and, you know, get to the playoffs and really kind of ruin their, their high uh, positioning in the draft. But, you know, Brandon Bean did a good job of maneuvering multiple deals to get into the top 10 to go get Josh Allen and the bills to their credit. I think they bet on themselves a bit with a raw player like Josh Allen and have really done a good job of developing him and, uh, allowing him to be the best version of himself in Buffalo. It's exciting. You know, we want to see that sample size continue to grow before we get too crazy. But right now, uh, you know, the, the excitement around Josh Allen could not be any higher. More with Joe Marino coming up. We've got to talk NFL draft, the continued development of Josh Allen as a quarterback and the AFC playoff picture and maybe even the AFC East still up for grabs for the Buffalo Bills, just one game behind the Patriots. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash locked on. If you have a long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office, treat yourself to a meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. And folks, I don't know, I've told you this before, but I host a Steelers uh, radio show from four to six every day. My wife works. It's awful hard for us to get dinners, you know, in our kids' stomachs. So I use DoorDash all the time now. I mean, it's just so convenient. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. It's very easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Sounds pretty simple, right? Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are 3,400,000 3, restaurants in 3,300 cities. So let me repeat that. 3, 
340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities. So you might just find a new favorite restaurant too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states, including Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. So right now, our listeners get 5 bucks off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Don't forget, that's promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, all one word, for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Joe, looking back pre-draft, I really hated how much I disliked Josh Allen's tape. I thought he was overdrafted at pick 10 because of some of the the issues you talked about and how, how raw he looked at times. And, you know, the arm strength was obvious. The athleticism was obvious, you know, so the tools were never an issue. And the reason I was conflicted is because he is from a small town of Firebaugh, California, which is not far from where I grew up in the Central Valley of California. And your conversation with the NFL scout talking about the 10,000 reps is very interesting. And I'm wondering where you think he is on that scale of development, because the developing is, is definitely happening. And I think it was the best game I've seen him play as a pro in Dallas. I don't know if there's been some games I wasn't paying close enough attention to where he's looked better than that. I have this statistic that I saw from football outsiders that really sort of shows the development, not only from year one to two, but actually in year two for Josh Allen. Weeks one through five, his DVOA, which is a value over average statistic, uh, and it's a percentage. So he was 24.8% worse than average from weeks one to five. He's flipped that to be plus 6.7% DVOA from weeks seven to 13. So uh, I just want to know if that is sort of accurate to what you've seen from his development so far in his arc in year two. Yeah, you know, I think you're going to find endless metrics and traditional statistics that validate the performance that we've seen on the the field when talking about Josh Allen. And, you know, Brian, I, I, I'm with you in terms of not being overly high on Josh Allen coming out. You know, I thought he was really raw. He was a bad college quarterback. There's no question about it. He was not a good mm-hmm. quarterback at Wyoming, but it was easy to find his traits, right? He's got the size. He has athleticism. He has great arm talent, but you know, could he put all that together to get more accurate, to make better decisions, uh, to see the field better, all that type of stuff, to really blend those traits together to be a good quarterback in the NFL? And I think if there's anything that I can tell you I didn't give him enough credit for was the intangibles. This is a guy that, you know, you sounds like you're familiar with his background uh, coming out of uh, California, small town, not getting a whole lot of opportunities to play major college football, goes to a lower level community college and he, he plays there and, and does well, and he writes a letter to every single uh, FBS head coach and coordinator trying to get a look and an opportunity, and he gets two, right? He gets Wyoming and Eastern Washington. Those are the only two teams that wanted him, and, um, you know, he plays himself into a top-ten pick, and, you know, the Bills have done a really good job of, of building the, the offense around what works for Josh Allen, but, you know, helping him evolve as a player to not just be such a, you know, chuck it deep and then take off if it, that's not available to you, to being a complete passer, one of the best intermediate passers in football right now. And so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone should be ashamed of their evaluation of Josh Allen because he gave you plenty of reasons to be doubtful. Uh, but being aware of his intangibles, how much he cares, how quickly he's taken over 
the locker room and become a respected leader of the team and uh, and how the, the, the franchise has kind of rallied around him because of his work ethic and, and those intangibles that matter a ton when you, when you combine, you know, talent plus habits, you know, you get, you get something really exciting and the bills have done a good job of creating that opportunity for Josh to really grow. They've also created a very good defense and I can't wait to see bills Ravens and not because <laughs> they're both good teams, but the schematic fits, the matchup is really interesting to me. I'm in the middle of writing up an article right now about, you know, really analyzing the, the, the Ravens offense. And I found, I come, came across a stat with the Bills, and I don't know if you know this or if it's common knowledge in Bills land, but I think it was pro football focus, but don't quote me, that the Bills put an extra guy in the box less often than any team in the league. And when I read that, I'm like, oh, that passes the eyeball test when you watch the tape. Mm -hmm. And in turn, they allow some rushing yards. But I think that's also by design and analytics and stopping the pass is rule number one in today's NFL. But what about the birdies? Well, you know, I, I think, Matt, what that comes down to is the Bills' defense, it's actually statistically very good in terms of yardage, but they will give up some plays, and mm -hmm. they make you earn everything, and that's hard in the NFL. When when there's nothing easy, you know, there's not they don't concede much to you, but they, they make you earn every play and execute a series of plays to really, you know, get down the field and, and get in position to score points, and then they're good in the red zone on defense, and so – you know, I, I, they do play, they, they, you know, they're probably in base defense, I would say 15 to 20% of the time, but then it really comes down to, you know, playing in sub packages and using specific skill sets to their advantage. I think that's been a big uh, point of evolution for this defense. When you compare it to last year it was statistically a good defense last year as well, top five. Uh, but now it's got some depth to it. And Sean McDermott, and Leslie Frazier can play more matchup specific situations with some of the players that they, you know, use in sub packages and get creative. And I think that's really created a lot of challenges for opponents. And, you know, you listen to guys like Tom Brady talk about the bills defense. They say, it's not a juggernaut. It's not anything that you haven't seen before, but they're just fundamentally sound and they make you earn everything. And, and that, that goes a long way. It, in the a long way. it does. I don't know if it goes a long way against the Ravens because they'll be gladly take six, seven on the yeah. ground. But I think it's a great, great strategy for the league overall. Well, I, I've been obviously preparing a lot for the Ravens, and you know, certainly focused a lot on that game on Sunday against San Francisco. And they do such a good job of of putting players in conflict, right? And you're you're right. hesitant. You're not sure what you're supposed to do. Your feet get stuck in the mud. Oh, by the way, while you're trying to figure that out, here goes Lamar Jackson buzzing right by you with his ridiculous speed. And then they put all those big body tight ends on the field, and it just it's just matchup nightmares everywhere. You know, I'm starting to think that the key to, to maybe slowing down the Ravens is, you know, not being so hyper committed to the dive and, and really focus on protecting in the, on the edges of the defense. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have a few more days to kind of figure out my ideas more for that. <laughs> Joe, I'm 100 percent with you now that I've seen the 49ers versus the Ravens and pay attention to Lamar Jackson. Don't try to uh, crash <laughs> against the run and just let Lamar have no. space. That's that. <laughs> Maybe against just about every other zone read quarterback in the NFL, that's probably a good strategy. I, I don't think that's the way the 49ers would play it again uh, when they <laughs> say win. If they were to play Lamar Jackson, say, in the Super Bowl. So uh, I'm with you on that 100%. You mentioned head coach Sean McDermott there, GM Brandon Bean. Those two, it seems, are in lockstep in Buffalo and that there's an intangible culture sauce happening right now 
for the Bills. Cole Beasley was quoted about saying how, and maybe this is some sour grapes because he got uh, dropped by, or you know, not picked up again by uh, the Dallas Cowboys, but he was talking about how it's so much different, and he loves, he's so glad he's in Buffalo, and he loves the vibe going on there, and I've seen uh, a bunch of other uh, whispers about the culture that's going on in Buffalo. How important is that to what's going on with the Bills' 9-3 and season so far? Huge. You know, it's it's been... It's been challenging to kind of watch from a high level because the Bills have made some difficult roster de- roster decisions over the last few years and, you know, saying goodbye to some really talented players. But, you know, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott have had a vision of building this culture, this this situation where it's a bunch of guys that just have the right DNA that are growth, you know, growth mindset type people that are unselfish football players and that love the game and love being around each other. I, you know, I, I can't say that I've I'm overly familiar with, you know, tons of locker rooms and what it's like and the dynamics of players and and how their families connect with the organization. But, you know, that is a big part of what Buffalo is. And, and, you know, the players' wives and families are very, you know, closely connected. And, you know, they have no cell phones at the dinner table and stuff when when they're having team meals. And uh, Sean McDermott's very deliberate about having the players get to know each other and love one another. And what that creates is is this environment where everyone – works really hard, obviously for themselves and their own careers, but because they don't want to let the guy next to them down. And that's cliche football stuff, but it's really something that's been implemented in Buffalo. And, you know, when you think about, all right, well, what makes the Bills defense specifically a really good unit? I mean, they have good players, they're talented, they have a good scheme, that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, it comes down to not wanting to let that guy next to you uh, down and, and giving your best effort for that guy. And like I said, this is cliche football stuff that they talk about in high school, Pop Warner level. But it matters in the NFL, too, and Sean McDermott's built that environment in Buffalo. I think Cole Beasley is a really good example of, of that working out. Now, he's not been overly negative towards Dallas and his departure there, but he has spoken very highly about you know whether it's the, the, the facilities that the Bills have provided for the players and the culture, the locker room, uh, the guys, all that stuff. It, you know, He's a really good example of, of a guy coming in, allowing to be the best version of himself and, and and producing really well for the football team. Joe, I got one more question for you. AFC here before we talk draft, if that's cool. Can you – you're also a pretty good feel for the whole league, not just the Bills, obviously. Power rank your top six AFC teams. Not where you think they're going to finish, but how good they're playing right now. Well, I think you have to put the Baltimore Ravens at, <clears throat> at number one in this conversation. Great, yeah. Uh, I mean, top 10 defense, top five offense. They're good football team. They present a lot of problems um, at number two. You know, I, I think you still have to make this a, uh, a New England Patriots conversation. You know, I know that they're showing some chinks in the armor a bit on offense. Brady's not really playing that well this year, but you know, I'm going to be the last guy on the earth. That's going to be betting against Tom Brady. Let me just tell you after him, and Belichick, you know, what, yeah. right. What is he, what is the 30, two and three all time against the bills. I mean, you know, I have seen firsthand what this is like, you know, I think Kansas city still a, a very dangerous team, what they can do on offense. And I think their defense is better this year. I put them probably at three. Uh, I think now you start talking about Buffalo at number four. I, I think everyone's very excited to see that win over Dallas, but you know, let's see what happens against the Baltimore Ravens uh, in Buffalo. And then a tough opponent in Pittsburgh, in my opinion, and then new England. So we're going to learn a lot about the bills and, you know, if they're going to be able to make some noise in the playoffs, uh, then I would probably list uh, Houston as number five. And then I, I, I'm a big fan of Tennessee at number I six. They were a team that I picked for the playoffs going into the year. And I love how they created, 
you know, kind of a no excuse year for Marcus Mariota. Well, what that's turned into is uh, uh, an opportunity for Ryan Tannehill to really shine. And, uh, you know, that's funny how that goes, but I love their defensive personnel, Matt. I love uh, their coaching staff. They're really multiple on defense. Harold Landry, nine sacks this year. Really good in the back end. Rayshon Evans is going to be a star at linebacker. Uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good football team. I put them at number six, and, you know, I'm not sure that they're that far behind Houston, who I put at five. It's going to be fun in the AFC right now. A two-game lead for Buffalo for the top wild card spot in the AFC, and only one game behind the New England Patriots, who they will face in a few weeks here. I believe week 16, Bills and Patriots. Maybe, maybe something to still be decided there in the AFC East. And we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't talk NFL draft with Joe Marino. Let's talk draft, Joe, with the couple minutes we have left here. And pretty much every mock draft I'm seeing, and I think Matt and I are both in the same boat with how busy we are right now and currently. And I've watched less college football than I have in a long time, and I'm big on the draft. But my Saturdays are my family day right now, so I'm a little bit behind. And I've watched a lot of the top guys, and it pretty much seems that as much of a slam dunk as it can be in December, Joe Burrow 1 and Chase Young 2 right now unless a team that has a quarterback somehow ends up with the top spot and maybe young one burrow two after the Tua injury, how locked in is that situation at the top of the draft in your mind right now? Feels crazy to talk in terms of absolutes here in the early portions of December. I just feel like that's going to be what happens. I think that <laughs> Joe Burrow is, is absolutely perfect for Zach Taylor. You know, uh, Zach Taylor, Nebraska alumni, uh, the Burrow family, a lot of connections to Nebraska. He's from the plains in Ohio. he, when he left uh, Ohio State, he went to two visits. He went to Cincinnati and LSU uh, as opportunities for him to go transfer, and uh, you know, obviously went to LSU. But Cincinnati was in that mix, and I think that he'd be tailor made for you know, just the city itself because he wants to be there, I'm sure. But also how he would fit into that Zach Taylor uh, offense. Think about uh, maybe Joe Burrow as a a more intelligent Jared Goff, you know, and and you know Zach Taylor coming from that Sean McVay coaching tree. You know, Joe, Joe Burrow, I think, is is just tailor-made for that offense. Extreme football intelligence. He's accurate. Uh, he can move. He can win under pressure. I think, I mean, that's what I love so much about him and, and is just how well he is when things break down around him, how well he handles pressure. He knows where everyone's at. If you watch his LSU offense, it's full field scans. Uh, you know, he's not limited in any way. You wish his arm was a little stronger, but, man, that's like the only knock. And I think his arm strength is passable. I think he's the type of quarterback that you take uh, number one overall if you're Cincinnati and, you know, you marry him to Zach Taylor and see what you can do. And then Chase Young's the best prospect in the class. I think he's one of those special pass rushers, the Miles Garrett type guys, the Khalil Max, the Bosa brother type players. And, you know, I, it, whoever's going to have that number two pick, I, I just don't know how you can go anywhere else with it. Uh, folks, we haven't done a lot of draft yet. I promise this year we'll do more than ever. Um, in the meantime, you have to go to the draftnetwork.com to get your draft fix, learn from these guys. But, Joe, just kind of give our audience a, a quick thumbnail, your list. I'm, I'm at your site right now, and I see your the, the collective top ten there. Who's the Joe Marino blue chip players that aren't quarterbacks? And just give me one sentence on each, super quick. Yeah, uh, so just just talk Young. Chase Young, right. Jerry Judy. I think he's a, an Amari Cooper type receiver. Jeffrey Akuda, really special cornerback from Ohio State that uh, okay. is dominant in man coverage, great ball skills. Andrew Thomas is a, a franchise left tackle, in my opinion. 
Isaiah Simmons, this linebacker from Clemson. Matt, oh, you got to watch his tape, man. He's so fun, so long, yeah. so athletic. I mean, you want to talk about the, the a neutralizer that's perfect to defend pace and space offenses? Man, you want to get Isaiah Simmons, and then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Derek Brown, who I think uh, is a really special defensive tackle. He's physical. He's big. He can move. His effort is outstanding for four quarters. I mean, I literally watched, you know, I think, six of his games last week to write up his film assessment. And I think I just wrote down, this guy just kicks ass for four quarters. And, and he, <laughs> oh, man, he's he's so fun to watch. So I think those are kind of the, the blue chip guys, the, the guys we'll be talking about as top 10 players that aren't quarterbacks. So Simmons might be able, I mean, no one can do this, but can Simmons pay, maybe spy Lamar, spy some of these athletic quarterbacks, you know, uh, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. Yeah. Maybe run with McCaffrey in coverage. I mean, is that in his wheelhouse? It's that type of stuff. But what I love, I think maybe you and I talked about this a little bit when we when we went uh, did a pod together. And we talked about these young linebackers like Tremaine Edmonds, Leighton Vanderesque, mm-hmm. uh Darius Leonard. Those guys are long athletic dudes, right? And like Isaiah Simmons is that type of player. So it's it's all the stuff you just mentioned. But what I really love is, you know, you get you get a guy like that in the middle. And you start running RPOs against him, you know, nobody's quite figured out how to stop an RPO, but I can tell you length really helps when sure. you can really get your hands up and affect throwing lanes. And if you if you're looking for that modern linebacker, I don't I don't think you're gonna find a better guy than Isaiah Simmons to fill that role. Joe, one more quick one. We do have to talk Tua here before we let you go. What are you hearing about Tua's injury post draft? Could he actually fall past, say, pick number three if the Miami Dolphins are sitting there? Uh, I'm not buying that he would fall into, you know, late round one, round two, because if, if he's good enough to go in late round one, I don't see a team that needs a quarterback passing on him in the top five, right? Brian, you know, I've, I'm in a lot of different circles where we we talk prospects and draft and stuff, and I, I think it's come up in multiple circles where people have said, is there any precedent for this? Is there any precedent for a top-tier quarterback prospect that got injured, that's not going to be able to throw for teams, has this type of injury history that goes high still and like everyone's palms to the air trying to figure out, you know, who the case study is that we could point to and say, Oh yeah, that guy did it. Sam um, so, well, yeah, that is, that's a good, that is, there it is. There's the exception, but that might be the only one. Um, that's what and, I can come up with. Yeah. I mean, Deshaun Watson player. was Watson had a couple injuries, but he was healthy, you know, for the pre-draft stuff. And so to me, this is what I'm going to pay attention to. If Tua declares, there's got to be some belief that he's going to still be a top five, top 10 pick. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, then we can know that there's some serious concerns out there and he needs to go out there and validate his health. So I He'll think you, us. I, I, I really believe that if he winds up declaring, then I'm going to assume he's going to go to the Miami Dolphins in the top five. That's very interesting. That's a good way to look at it there. And uh, I guess, yeah, Tua's camp will tell us how confident they are. And that will probably let us know how, how teams and, and how doctors feel about what's going on with Tua's hip and that injury. So that's going to be an interesting one to follow and really will have a, a massive effect on the rest of the draft. And still a ton of time to go. We'll get deep into the draft here on Locked On NFL. You know Joe is getting deep. I love what you guys have built at the, at the Draft Network. Follow Joe at the Joe Marino on Twitter. Host of Locked On Bills. Also, subscribe to the Draft Dudes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Joe, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, of course, guys, anytime. Looking forward to do it again. It was great. Thanks, man.